Four years ago, I was basically unemployed. A wanderer with no home. But now, I'm a husband and a father. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know how you did it, Pops. My job was a little less stressful than yours. Oh, yeah. I finally got a job. I'm the king of Atlantis. Half a billion people from every known species in the sea call this place home. But that doesn't mean they all like me. I'm gonna kill Aquaman and destroy everything he holds dear. I'm gonna murder his family and burn his kingdom to ash. Be stopped or a global meltdown is imminent. I think I know someone I might be able to help us. Ooh, you look rough. Good job, little brother. High five. Do not call me, brother. I cannot believe you let this happen. Yeah, well, I hate this job. True King builds bridges, right? True King builds bridges. We need to find Manta. He's different now. He's stronger than before. It's the Black Trident. During King Atlan's time, there were seven kingdoms. And the Trident was a curse upon them all. The Trident's dark magic is spreading. He means to end the bloodline. I don't know what lies ahead. But we can't leave our children in a world without hope. You're not as bad at this as you think. If you lead, the Seven Kingdoms will follow. Chama people, and welcome to our 223rd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I will actually add a premise here. We did say that, that our previous episode was our last episode of 2023. We were kind of joking because this is our last episode of 2023. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you? And I hope you had a great Christmas. I can't complain. It's actually a, a moderately warm, comfortable day here in the, the southeast. It's been raining all day, but I'll take rain over the like 10 feet of snow that New Jersey, New York, and the tri-state area have gotten. So all things being considered, uh, it's a good day for me. And yeah, I had a, a nice Christmas, spent time with the family and some friends. So all in all, can't complain too much. That being said, can't say the same thing about this movie. <laughs> oh like, exactly foreshadowing showing your hand there slightly but yes uh dear listeners we hope of course that you guys for who's those who celebrated had a great christmas as well and to cap off 2023 today we are discussing aquaman and the lost kingdom from 2023 this was directed by james wan who of course directed the first movie as well the screenplay was by david leslie johnson mcgoldrick who co-wrote the story with james wan jason momoa Oh, and that, that explains a lot. And Thomas Parsibit, while the score was by Rupert Gregson Williams. And estimate, you know, when it comes to this movie, it, it cost $215 million to make and so far has made $120 million at the box office. But from what I've heard, 
it's not performing particularly well for being the last movie of the DCEU. But I guess we shall see what the takings are when at the end of the day. So, uh, Keith, you know, you gave us a little bit of foreshadowing there. So what did you make of this sequel to the first Aquaman movie and the last movie of the DCEU? I, I really enjoyed watching Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship, all over again, except underwater, because that was basically what this movie was. It was like, must go get magic weapon from guy trying to raise magic dead guy from magic place of something or other. And we're not going to explain a lot of anything other than when convenient. Um, that being said, I do appreciate they gave Jason Momoa's Aquaman a little more depth, no pun intended. Um, I'm just so used to him, you know, screaming, my man, and blah, 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 like we saw in the Justice League. The guy had like literally four lines and they were the exact same four lines. Uh, it, it kind of, it started out okay-ish. They could have cut the first 20 minutes of the movie and just really kind of started from... Uh, so the, the first half of this movie, while it was interesting, I would say the first 15, 20 minutes with him and little baby Aquaman, little seahorse, whatever the hell his name is, Arthur Jr., it really wasn't needed. It was. I feel like it was a lot of filler just to kind of like pad the runtime, because it doesn't really start until uh, Black Mana gets at Spear or the Trident, the evil Trident, or as I jokingly call it, the uh, one Trident to rule all Tridents, because it gave me very much the Lord of the Rings vibe. Because every time you held the Trident, you got that flash to wherever this evil bad guy, aka Sauron, was, and it just. Every time they did that, it gave me the same Lord of the Rings vibe. It was always, I'm serving my master and I got to do this task, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. With that being said, I get it. They needed some sort of plot device to keep the story moving. Um, I just think they didn't really do a lot of good backstory building. Like, yes, you get there's this dead guy somewhere that somehow magically nobody knows of because they've expunged all this information. But when push comes to shove and people or the Atlanteans start seeing things happen, there's like, we don't know what's going on. Like stuff is just like blah, 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 blah. Like the water's getting hot and reasons and stuff. And like, they are completely oblivious to everything that's going on in the world. And it's not until the big bad guy breaks into some secret vault, which apparently he's already broken into five or six other ones at this point in time. And all of a sudden they're like, holy shit, we're being invaded. Like what has happened up until this point? Because you just hear him saying like, got into the other places just fine. Like why is there not security? Cause apparently this stuff is like nuclear waste level type of toxic. And they've been just keeping it underwater because they can't dispose of it without, reasons or something or other which for super advanced civilization you would have thought they'd figure out a way to get rid of this highly volatile super toxic greenhouse gas emitting yada 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 device which seemed very convenient and plot specific because in the first movie and even in the beginning of this movie they were complaining about the land dwellers polluting the water and meanwhile they have this energy source that does literally the exact same thing they're bitching about. So it just seems very hypocritical. 
and things just kind of happen. They progress very quickly. And I will say all things being considered, they kept the pace up that if there has to be a redeeming quality to this movie, it was pacing didn't lack. And I'm glad they used Amber Hart very sparingly because honestly, you really didn't need her. And I'm glad they used her for like what, two or three scenes you know, five minutes in the beginning, some random save my ass point here and some other random save my ass point here. And that's it. So I, I will say that they were able to do a good enough job uh, editing her out of the story. Granted, they probably had to change it dramatically. I, I will say that the CGI heads on bodies or underwater scenes were a little suspect. <laughs> Is that a nice way of putting it? Uh, but it's better than the Flash, I will say. They they did a, a marked improvement over the Flash's weird CGI-ness. So, you know, was it a good watch? Sh- sure. Could have been 45 minutes shorter. 100%. Does it basically just tell me that they're trying to save the planet and whatever-ness and yada yada? 100%. You know, will I watch it again? No. Not even if you paid me. Well, those are some great points indeed, and I love the Lord of the Rings analogy because it definitely works when it comes to this, comes to this film. I will say this. When I sat down to watch this movie, I said to myself, okay, this is going to, this is the last chapter in the DCEU. I kind of expected something a little bit more, as in this felt like just another installment. And True. you almost wonder whether there had, there was a change in order. Maybe the Flash was supposed to be the last one, but even that leaves a lot of open-ended questions. This was the same thing. I mean, I would have expected, I don't know, I mean, I'm not saying a major world-changing event like, I don't know, um, uh, Batman to show up or something like that, but I just would have wanted to, you know, like have Michael Keaton randomly show up and say this, this, and this, or, or something like that. I would have appreciated that. It didn't, there was no note of finality when it came to this movie. It's like, okay, this movie's over. It almost felt like, okay, I guess we're going to wait for a couple more months for the next DCEU movie to show up. There just wasn't any, I would have appreciated a send-off because this is, as I said, it's the end of an era. It's the end of a universe. Granted, the movies have been varying in quality from mediocre to really bad, I would have expected something a bit more. I'm not, I'm not, wasn't asking for an end game necessarily, but something that made it feel like we had a good, we had a good run. Thanks for, for following along with us. It's the end of this, this particular series of actors. And we're going to pass the torch on to James Gunn and his universe as of next year. So I was a little bit disappointed when it came to that. If you take the, the, uh, that out as in the movies are interconnected, it wasn't a bad scene. As in, uh, like you said, I think uh, the character development was definitely on, spot on when it came to, to certain uh, returning returning characters. And I appreciated how some of them have grown. At the same time, it did make me groan as well because of, uh, because of some of the dialogue, which is why, as I thought when I read that um, Jason Momoa was amongst the, the writers, I'm like, I wonder how much his hand was in the dialogue especially when it came to Aquaman's, because there were some moments where I wasn't particularly on board. And that was probably why I was never a huge fan of this particular Aquaman. Like the first movie I enjoyed, but once again, like you mentioned, uh, Keith, he very much is a surfer dude. 
And he's kind of a surfer dude throughout the course of this one, too. Nothing wrong against surfer dudes, if any surfers out there listening to us. But it was a very, very stereotypical, like like you said, like, my man, and all this kind of thing. It was like, uh, do we really need that? I guess it established that this is who Aquaman is in this universe. Uh, that said, it being the last movie, because we know we're not going to get an Aquaman 3, I almost wondered whether they would have used a certain story, which I'm actually going to be mentioning when we get to recommendations, because of the fact that Aquaman has a son, and because, of course, Black Manta is involved. Instead, we went down this completely different route where we decided to have, like you said, our one ring. Because I actually looked up in the comics and I could not find anything when it came to the Black Trident. The only thing that I found was being associated with a, with a character called Triton, who apparently is another character within, you know, obviously the Aquaman lore and within the Aquaman rogues gallery. But there wasn't any sort of, I, I couldn't find anything on the Black Trident in cell, itself and whether it was a thing and where this Lost Kingdom was a thing. And I agree with you. We only find out about this Lost Kingdom now. Up until this point, nobody knew, or rather, I guess the elders in Atlantis knew, but they never decided to tell Arthur about it or anybody nope. else. Like, oh, yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Only now it crops up because it, it's a problem. And so, yeah, we kind of have to tell you about this. And we kind of have to tell you, like you mentioned, about this in this toxic um, fuel, which is which is poisoning the sea and poisoning the, the outside world. And we haven't really done anything to kind of make they, they've stockpiled it. But you'd think they would have gotten rid of it in some other fact, shape or form. Other than that, I thought the acting was decent. I, look, I mean, Amber Heard is a, you know, she's a decent actress. But I have to admit, in this one, she was absolutely cringeworthy. Absolutely cringeworthy. The way she spoke her lines, because since we're not going to actually be talking about Amber Heard's character, Mira, in this particular review, just a, a, you know, a brief thing on her is, Every time she opened her mouth, it sounded like she was reading. It did not yes. sound authentic or emotional. It's like, oh my, we have to go. And I just did not feel the emotion. The only time I felt the emotion was when she finds out that her son has been kidnapped. I'm like, if you don't start crying your eyes out and don't do the desperate mom, you're not, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. There she did a good job. Otherwise, when she spoke lines, it literally felt like she was in the recording booth reading them. She probably had to do voiceover work, and that's exactly what it was. It was just her in a booth reading lines off that she had said, mumbled, or whatever the case may be. And they were like, well, we can't hear you, so get the marbles out of your mouth and do it again. <laughs> yes. So I would have expected a little bit more from Mira, because I will say this. In the first one, she wasn't half bad. She was actually a pretty pretty decent. In this one, like, what happened, Amber? So I'm thinking, as as you said, that maybe because of all the cutting and stuff, she had to go and do, you know, ADR it and, and, and basically do it that way. But on that, she was one of the low points. Not to mention, you have some great actors in this and you don't even use them properly, which I was kind of blown away by. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, Aquaman's mother. I mean, you know, you have a, a, an actress of that caliber and you don't use her. And I'm like, I was, I was blown away. I was just amazed that, uh, that she didn't get more screen time. But then again, you know, I guess um, I guess that's, that's just how it goes. But yeah, by and large, I, I did enjoy myself. There were moments where I was kind of a little bit bored. And, uh, and I agree with you. I think um, this movie clocks in at two hours and five minutes, roughly. It could have easily been an hour and a half. I'm just saying. Oh, 100%. <laughs> easily. 90, 95 minutes max. 
I did just the the fluff beginning definitely kind of tripped it up a lot. I, I went through and watched it and kind of went back and was like, did we need any of this him having father-son bonding time for the first 30 odd minutes? It Don't get me wrong, it was nice, but it didn't really add to the plot of the story. It was just we knew where the baby was. Baby was with grandpa. Okay, cool. And then conveniently nobody in Atlantis knew that she had had a son, which somehow boggles my mind. Like, didn't anybody notice that she either A, disappeared for nine months or B, was starting to get a belly? Because I imagine, I'd hope, Atlanteans reproduce similar to land dwellers or else that would have got really messy. Um, so this is a lot of like weird, like when you think about it, how did nobody know that there wasn't another, you know, heir to the throne, as it were, or that she was pregnant or literally anything. Just one day she just had a little weight, and the next day she was fine, all good. I mean, do they reproduce overnight? Like she literally just popped a kid out, like on a Tuesday. You know that. You know that wasn't not that we needed all the finite details. It was just very interesting that they wait until the end of the movie to go. Oh yeah, by the way, hey mommy or grandma, and they're just like, what do you mean? There's another. There's a kid somewhere. Like they just. I would have thought that would have been a very big deal. The king of Atlantis having an heir. So it was a very, like, oh, yeah, by the way kind of moment. It's sort of like you forgetting to turn off the stove when you leave. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot to turn off the stove. Like, oh, yeah, there's a kid. Like, all right. Like, so what did you do today? I gave birth. No big deal. Well, well said, yes. And, uh, and like, I mean, I guess I'm assuming they told uh, Atlanta there that um that she was a grandmother. And, yeah, and, and as I mentioned before, my, my it was it did seem a little bit odd and had you know those baby moments been used for something, you know, I, I would have appreciated it. But like I said before, my other big peeve was you have Nicole Kidman in your movie and you barely use her, and I I didn't get that. I honestly didn't. I agree. I mean, I get I get she you know she was more important in the first film because they had to set up obviously Arthur coming into his own and how he was born and everything else. But as I mentioned before, you have Nicole Kidman. Use the woman. She knows how to act. She could have done, a, could have brought something really great to this film, but she's barely in it as well. The women are barely in it. Let's be honest. I mean, Amber Heard for obvious reasons, and Nicole Kidman is kind of there now and again. You see her doing the, some of the, some battles, but she doesn't really get much to do. Uh, it's more about the boys, I think, in this movie. This movie focuses, I think, more on the guys than it does the gals at, at all, because I guess it's very much a, a man's movie. So speaking of the, a man's movie, let's look at our two brothers. We'll start looking at our two brothers. Once rivals and now allies, possibly uneasy ones. We have, of course, the aforementioned Jason Momoa as Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and Patrick Wilson as Orm Marius, a.k.a. Ocean Master. Granted here, he has renounced that title and just goes by Orm. So, uh, Keith, what did you make of uh, Aquaman and Orm? It was an interesting dynamic. I, I appreciated them it growing over the course of the movie and you actually see him maturing both of them in some respects granted for whatever reason Momoa's dialogue just kind of veered left in the second half of the movie where he turned into very much that surfer dude where in the beginning he's having like these deep conversations with his father and you know he's like oh I can't believe you raised me by yourself and so on and so forth and then toward the end of the movie he's like I was much punch stuff and do things heavy stuff. Like what, what just happened? Like, how did we drop IQ points? 
Is it because you don't, you're not underwater, your brain is dried out? Like what? Like I will say that was definitely a, a bit of a, a a jarring kind of thing with me. It was just like how his dialogue, his dialogue just kind of progressively got um, more medieval as the movie progressed. Um, with Ocean Master, I did like that they showed him kind of realizing the error of his ways because for the longest time he thought and he went with the you know the earth dwellers are evil we're the best and yada yada we must conquer the earth dwellers because they're the ones polluting our waters come to find out that y'all almost killed yourselves about a thousand years ago but hey we're not going to talk about that thing because somehow that's not a big deal so by the end of the movie it was interesting to see because there was that one scene where his father was clinging to the side of that cliff and he was being attacked by the, the sea monster. And he has this little shitting and grin, like, ha ha ha, I'm going to leave you to die. And then he saves his father. And you can kind of see that at different points in the time, him growing as a person. It's not very much black and white. Like he kind of portrayed it to be in previous iterations. This was kind of like, okay, I can kind of see this side of the argument or I get that. And, so on and so forth and even when they have this whole conversation walking through the mutant jungle about hamburgers and him eating like cockroaches which i was kind of one of those things like it was kind of a chuckle but then at the same time it's like there are people literally in the world who eat cockroaches like they enjoy insects and it's very nutritious and that is normal food for you know an entire you know, civilization. So you're like, you're making a gag out of this, except it's a legitimate thing. And I will say they paid off that joke at the very end, that uh, end of credit clip, which was a total waste of time, but I get it. It was, you know, the joke um, I could have been done differently. Probably could have been done better. I don't necessarily know because if you get too corny, it turns into a buddy comedy or some type of, whatever and there's very much a borderline Momoa's character is a little comedic and Ocean Masters is very stiff and by the end they kind of both have that flexibility Momoa's character does grow up and he pulls a, a Black Panther and tells the world about Atlantis oh hey Black Panther who would have figured um, and Ocean Master is the Bucky Barnes of the DCU where he is now roaming the earth kind of experiencing new things, trying stuff out, you know, living amongst the uh, surface dwellers to kind of get their perspective on things. You see him eat a cheeseburger, which was kind of funny because he puts a cockroach on the cheeseburger. I, I was like, Oh, oh I get it. That's funny. Like, I, I cringed for a second, but then, you know, it made me chuckle. So I, I will say his comedic timing was, I think better in terms of like the jokes because they were very subtle. Um, at the same time, I think his wig was terrible through half of the movie. You could tell he was wearing a wig more often than not. You could tell the wig was done for, I'm going to imagine reshoots because the end of the movie, it looks more natural. The beginning of the movie, when they're in the middle of a, and I say middle, I'm using air quotes because they're in the middle of a desert, except when they break out of the jail, they're about 20 feet from the ocean. So they're not really in the middle of a desert. Uh, uh, I'm just, you know, there's so much to unpack with these guys. Um, 
his CGI was actually not that terrible when they did Big Head on Little Body because they had to show that he was dehydrated and withered away, or as I like to call it, Tuesday for me because I'm always a little dehydrated. Uh, so I, I think with... I know, I know I'm going on tangents here, guys. I apologize. But there's just so much to unpack with this movie. And since we've skipped over a certain character who shall not be named, we could spend more time on these two. Uh, I think it would be fun to see him in his own... Well, granted, that we're not going to get that. But it would have been fun to see him in his own movie to kind of like explore the world and see through his eyes. Because now you had a land dweller going to Atlantis. It'd be interesting to see an Atlantean going to land and his take on things. I very much agree. So now I guess everybody wants to know is when you're dehydrated on a Tuesday and you drink water, just like Orm, do you suddenly grow instant abs? I do, 100%. I, I shoot up about six inches and I, I bust out with my eight pack and my hair grows out too. Otherwise, I am bald as shit. But I grow out these long goldy locks and I have a beard and I look like albino Santa. It's amazing. But you know, any other time, I just look at this shriveled old man. I think. See, that's what I thought was hilarious because I, I get it. Superheroes, different rules. It's kind of like I guess almost Superman when it comes uh, to um, uh, what was it? Um, the Crisis movie that we wa- that we watched, of course. Um, uh, oh, oh, pardon me. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, the, the Flash movie where, of course, the Superman or Supergirl was like super, you know, gaunt, shriveled. Yep, exactly. It's the same kind of situation where I was like, okay, we've gone to see Orm in prison and he literally looks like Castaway. And it did kind of make me chuckle that Arthur called him Castaway at one point because he does very much look like, a, you know, that, that, kind of, that kind of guy. And he is, you know, incredibly skinny. I'm like, okay, so how is he going to get buffed in that amount of, amount of time that we need him to have the superhero body? All he has to do is like hop into the water and boom, he cracks out the, you know, the, the athletic body. I'm like, that's not really how it works. But I suppose with Atlanteans, it does because you haven't had any water. And so you lose all your muscle mass. And so you're just like scrawny. That did, that did make me chuckle. I'm like, okay, fine. Very well. I guess that that works for everybody. But uh, other than that, and yes, and the wigs, the wigs were a little bit strange too. Uh, but I did like their um, their dynamic, the the whole concept of uh, you know Arthur constantly calling him brother and Orm saying I'm not your brother, and I kind of could tell by the end of the movie, he's Orm is probably going to recognize Arthur as his brother, and that's yeah, exactly what happened. Yeah, because he because it was an ongoing thing that Arthur kept calling him brother and Orm kept looking at him, going I'm not your brother, and so I'm like okay by the end of the movie. They're going to be the best of friends. And I also agree when you mentioned about the um, the growth that Arthur has gone through, because throughout the first half of the movie, he is literally turning into his dad, as in he learned out from his father what it was like to be like, a, a single parent, in inverted commas, granted it's him and Mira raising their kids. But Arthur has definitely taken a page from his dad, the way he's you know, relating to his kid and taking care of him and loving him and so on. And he's definitely taken on more of a responsibility as much as he doesn't want to be King of Atlantis. And even tells Orm this, even says, I never wanted the throne. I was kind of forced. It, I was, it was kind of forced upon me because circumstances and, and, you know, I would, I would be more than happy to give you the throne if you want it so badly. I'm not interested in it. And in fact, he, throughout the, the beginning of the movie, he talks about how bored 
he is with being king, with all the meetings and all the politics involved. It's just not his thing and just doesn't seem to enjoy it. And at the same time, it's also balancing being a father and being a king. And he's obviously understandably finding it rather tough. But at the same time, yeah, he's he seems so much more mature. And he's the one who keeps bringing to the council the idea of let's make the world know that we exist so that they will might stop doing the things that they do, knowing they are literally people living in under the under the sea, if you will, under the ocean. Granted, people should not be polluting the water anyway because fish deserve to live too. But other than that, knowing that they're actual people, they might, you know, might change their mind. They might recognize Atlantis as a place and say, okay, you guys, you know, have are now part of the world. We recognize you as a nation and we will, you know, try and do better. And Arthur, I think, recognizes the concept that, you know, his things could be better if Atlantis had more of a relationship with the outside world, with the world above. And then, yes, like you said, um, once he breaks Orm out of prison, he goes back to the same Aquaman that we'd seen in the first movie. And I wonder where this might just be a front on Arthur's part that he has to play the the arrogant kind kind of guy who's kind of you know making fun of his brother going I'm the best and I'm the strongest and I kick your butt a million times maybe he has to he changes that dynamic because he's with his brother now I don't know if that that was the intent might be that's the only thing I can think of it could almost people could maybe see that almost as the way Thor behaves in the MCU where he can have some very deep moments but when he's in company he has to play up the arrogant uh bully if you will with the guy who's so full of himself so it might be that just that that's why arthur behaves the way he does when he's around people like or more just in public where he's like i have a persona to maintain i can't be the noble proud guy and just be humble if you want mature orm remembers me of, as this i kind of have to do that and kind of it's kind of almost a an ego thing where he has to he has to kind of show orm who's boss i suppose when it came to Orm, I, I definitely also appreciate the guy because he's kind of going through the motions. Like you said, he's literally a fish out of water, no pun intended, kind of with Arthur showing him, maybe also kind of playing pranks on him about eating insects. But I think he's trying to teach his brother what it's like to live on, on, on the surface and why Atlantis should not hate the surface dwellers because they're good people. There's great stuff. You know, he mentions his love for cheeseburgers. It's like this place is worth saving. You shouldn't, you shouldn't want to destroy it. Ch check it out. And that might give you a different perspective on why you shouldn't hate people outright. I mean, there are some horrible people out there, but at the same time, Arthur's kind of like trying to show him there's there's so much great stuff in the world that doesn't need to be destroyed. And I think Orm begins to see that as the movie progresses. And then, like you said, when he then kind of goes out on his own, firstly, and we get that, that cut of him eating, eating the cheeseburger. I wouldn't have minded an Ocean Master Solo movie. I think Patrick Wilson did a good job playing this character. What I did also appreciate was with our one ring situation, that though he seems to be reforming, there is still something there with Orm that the, the Black Trident plays to. Because obviously it seems like the Black Trident, kind of like the One Ring, will take you over if there is some inherent and possible uh, dark side in you. And it, it, it will feed that dark side. And I think that's what it was doing here with, with Orm, just like it was doing with, uh, with Black Manta, who we'll get to here shortly. But I think by and large, Orm has changed. 
and is kind of okay with not being king at this point. It's like I'll go on my own, and I'm and I'm happy with it, and I'm glad to know that out there I have a brother as well, and who I actually genuinely care for. So, so I thought that was cool, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess even just like the One Ring, I suppose the Black Trident can um, pervert and kind of um, hypnotize even the the best of in, the best intentioned people. Because I think Orm does have good intentions. It's just it's like. I have to hang out with this dude. Why am, do I, am I hanging out with him? By the end of the movie, of course, he appreciates him. So I agree with you. I think there was it was a nice family dynamic. And uh, of course, we know once again that their mother kind of wants their her, her sons to play to play friendly amongst themselves. And once again, it would be nice to have had more of the dynamic, I find, between um, Atlanta, of course, and um, and her sons, which we barely get. But we had a nice little heartfelt moment at the end, which was nice, but... I, I would have liked, as mentioned before, more of Nicole Kidman and possibly less of Amber Heard. Uh, that said, anything else on either Aquaman or Orm before we get to our next two, Keith? No, I, I agree with you on everything you said, especially with you know Nicole Kidman, the mom, giving him the one random hug, and then okay, I know you have to pretend to be dead, and you know I still love you, and you know so on and so forth. So I, I think. They could have used her more, but when they did use her, she she helped with humanizing the characters a little bit. I think she definitely is the heart, of course, because I think even Orm himself who might be the guy who's like, oh, well, I don't have any brother. It takes a few words from her, and he's like, yeah, I guess you're right, Mom. And, you know, and brothers and siblings, of course, won't always agree, but it was nice to see at least these two brothers, by the end of the movie, get on more than they did before, at least not trying to murder each other. So I guess let's round off our characters by looking at our villain and his sidekick turned good guy. We have Yahya Abdul-Mateen II reprising his role as David Kane, Black Manta, and Randall Park, who we'd actually seen at the end of the first Aquaman movie as Dr. Stephen Shin. So, Keith, your thoughts on Black Manta and Dr. Shin? Um, It's hard to, to say... I think Dr. Shin, thankfully, he didn't play himself as the FBI agent from Ant-Man. So he was a little comedic, but at the same time, the way they wrote his character, it was more of a a terror kind of comedy where he was just so scared out of his brains. He was like, I, I need to say something or kind of you know nervous whateverness energy that forced him to make certain comments and reactions. And then when he does finally see Black Manta for you know who he is and what is going on, he realizes at that point in time when he's in the um, island of Dr. Monroe and he can't escape that, you know, I, I've kind of, you know, made my bed. I have to lay in it at this point. So whatever happens, happens. And he himself, he was blinded by the whole, I, I want to go see Atlantis, I'm going to go see Atlantean this, Atlantis tech, blah, blah, blah. And that he didn't stop to necessarily think, you know, what is this doing? You know, why is this like this? You know, if this was such an important thing, why is it caked in ice? And why is everything green? Or, you know, why is the ozone layer now have a giant hole and the, the planet is 10 degrees warmer like literally none of the stuff none of the red flags go off in his head until it's far too late and then even then he does grab the uh trident at some point 
because Black Manda just leaves that literally laying around everywhere. Um, he grabs that trident and he does get the vision of the Goblin King or Sauron or whatever the bad guy of the hour is supposed to be and sees that you know things are going to be much worse than what they what he had originally suspected and by then he just realized he tries to confront black mana and black mana is just so blinded by his rage and must kill aquaman because of what he did and so on and so forth that he just has his blinders on doesn't care the ends justify the means as he said I'd make a deal with the devil if it got me what I needed. And he does basically make a deal with the devil. So when he's more or less possessed by the end of the movie, by the spirit or the essence of um, the former king, it's not a surprise. You see it. And even I, I will say they did it in a way that kind of made me laugh a little bit because I've seen this so many other times is it, the character starts talking in the third person and it's funny to see that because he's like oh this mortal body is crap i need something else or read this and it's then when he jumps into uh, arthur's brother's body he's like oh this is what i was looking for an atlantean body with strength and so on and so forth uh it was fun to see that kind of um character development or character change in both of them because Black Man has had this power for this entire movie. He didn't have this power suit, which he was heavily relying on the first one. And now he was relying on the magic. And then once he loses the magic, Arthur just beats him senseless in like two seconds. And then, you know, he even tries Arthur, who did basically kill Black Man's father in the first movie, does try to save him. And Black Man is like, never. And throws himself into a pit which seems kind of silly if you think about it but he essentially killed himself instead of being saved to live another day and possibly kill Arthur and the rest of his family so it seems a little short-sightedness but I think that was more of a we knew this was the end of the the run for Aquaman and we kind of wanted to tie everything up and this the best way they could do it was have the main bad guy throw himself into a ravine that, that's exactly it I mean, um, I I agree with you. I think Randall Park was very much our um, our co- our our comedic character, if you will. The want to bring the levity, if you will, to this movie. I mean, he kind of does a similar similar job and similar role when it comes to the MCU as well. So I think that that's the kind of character. Those are the kind of characters Randall Park will play, and he kind of does this in this in in this one too. Except here, I suppose, aside from being the comedic relief. He also is the more naive of the group, as in to him, like you mentioned, his the reason why he's even on Black Manta's team is because he wants to see Atlantis more than anything in the world. Obviously, he has no desire or intent to want to destroy it. He just wants to see 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 it for himself. So obviously, like the rest of the world who have no idea, no clue that Atlantis even exists. He, you know, from what we, we we gleaned from the first movie, he has had these theories of in forever about Atlantis being real, and what, and I suppose it might have been his maybe his lifelong dream to finally see it with his own eyes. And Manta seemed to be the ticket to to be able to see that. And it, I'm sure he probably realizes. I mean, I don't think he's that naive, 
that uh, the Black Manta is a good person or has evil intent. I'm sure he probably realizes that he's dealing with some rather shady people, but it doesn't really seem to phase him too much. As in, he's all about, wow, we're going on a journey. Even though I'm with a murderous uh, villain, I'm still going on the journey. So that's fantastic. But then, of course, as the film progresses, he kind of uh, has, he, you know, he wakes up and smells the coffee and realizes that he's kind of on the wrong side of the tracks here. And then, of course, then joins our, our good guys, or rather, he helps out our our heroes by kind of sabotaging Black Manta and his plans. So, so it was not, he was a fun character to have, I suppose. And Brandall usually brings brings a good, uh, you know, good job to the table in every in whatever movie he's in. Black Manta is pretty much what we'd seen in the first movie, as in. If he was hell-bent on destroying Aquaman in the first one, he's even more hell-bent on wanting to do it in this one. Because to him, that's he's very single-minded in that. To him, it's all about just destroying Aquaman and everything he loves. And then, of course, he gets possessed by the Black Trident, and then it becomes another, another mission of literally freeing Kordax, the, the king of Necros, of course, the Lost Kingdom, and allowing them to come through. And we'd kind of seen that before, like you mentioned, in other movies as well, where there's this entity that takes you over for their own desires and means. Most recently, we saw it in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, where Shang-Chi's dad you know, thought he was going to, to, to free his wife when he was actually, in actual fact, going to be opening a gate to a dark evil. So here's kind of the same thing, I think, with the, with uh, with Black Manta. I don't think he initially wants to free Kordax, but it's because now he's been taken over and he's been promised by Kordax that he will have his revenge and he will be able to defeat Aquaman. Not to mention, in order to open the door to the kingdom of Necros, he needs royal Atlantean blood. So I guess that kind of kills two birds with one stone because like, if I kill Aquaman, I can use his blood and let this guy in so I'm happy, Kordax is happy, and everybody can go home, uh, you know, overjoyed that they've done what they what they set out to do. And then that also puts um, Arthur's son in peril because, you know, Arthur makes the realization of, oh, right, it's not just me and Orm or my mom who have royal Atlantean blood, there's also my son. And then off, uh, off we go to kind of try and save Arthur Jr. from Black Manta murdering him. And I don't know, I know this seems horrible to say, but I wonder how impactful it would have been had Black Manta actually killed his son. As in, um, I know you probably couldn't do it in the movie because people would be up in arms going, he murdered a baby. But uh, it would have it really underlined, I think, the lengths Black Manta would go to take away something from, uh, from Aquaman. And as I mentioned before, there is a recommendation, which I'll get to shortly, where it actually does happen, where Black Manta actually does murder Arthur's kid. And I was kind of wondering where they were going to they were going to go with that comic book story and literally have Black Manta murder murder Arthur's son. Did, did you have a feeling that might have happened, Keith? I think it would have, because there was a time in Aquaman's comic book history where it went dark, real dark real hard, real fast. So I think this um, could have been a, a, a growth moment for him if that had happened. But at the same time, that could have also pushed him to cause World War III with the Land Dwellers because of what Black Manta has done. So it's kind of like that. I can get both sides of the argument. This turns into like a Flashpoint type of Aquaman, which would have tied in greatly if they came out with the movie in order 
you know, that he does lose his son and then he just goes on murder rampage and um, wipes out or tries to wipe out the surface world. And then um, the flash resets the timeline and none of this happens. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, But I I think that could have just, it would have left on such a weird cliffhanger that his son dies and he, you know, kills Black Manta and then we're done and the DC Universe reboots. And you're like, well, shit, I want to know what was going to happen. Like, does he go crazy? Does he learn from this? What, you know, what happens? Like, what is this? Because something like that changes a person. You know, every movie has, or I shouldn't say every, in many movies where there's some sort of growth or some sort of character development is due to the loss of somebody else or something else in that character's uh, history or that you know runtime of the movie you look at the avengers they lost colson you look at the justice league they lost superman but then they got him back and then they had to go beat his ass <laughs> but you know it's one of those things that you know everything most hero movies have that you know character hits a wall character loses something they love and then gets to where he has to be the the better person or the end of the story point or whatever the case may be. So I I think this would have just been a weird cliffhanger point. If anything, they could have maimed him where he loses his hand like they do in the comic book and he had to have a hook put in for one of his hands. That would have been an interesting, you know, story point that he fights this uh, undead King and he loses an arm or a hand or whatever the case may be, because that, did happen in the comic books and again would have kind of forced him to grow and mature because of his actions so I, I think there could have been a lot of potential here that was just underutilized because again it's the last movie in the current justice or sorry not justice league the current dc universe i think so too because i mean i know that cordax the the king of necros in this one is an actual character from the comics, as in, um, from from my understanding, he was a an ancestor of a, of a, of Arthur's, and as a yes. kid, you know, he'd kind of been he had the same powers as Aquaman, and he could control and talk to fish, you know, um, telepathically, and he had does at one point show up in order to try and take over Atlantis, but there's no such thing as Necros. Necros was completely invented for this movie. It kind of felt like it, but I'm like Necros. Of course, the city of death. How many times have we seen evil places be named, uh, you know, after death? Like ne- you know, necropolis. You think immediately of necropolis, <laughs> a city of the dead, or that kind of stuff. It's like, Necron. okay, that's a little exactly. That's a little bit of a, a, bit, a name which is a little bit on the nose, but okay, I get it. The city of the dead. But what we call it? Let's call it Necros. Fine. But uh, yeah, to bring Cordax into this in a very different way is literally the king of the dead and the king of this this. Uh, and this lost kingdom was a curious uh, was a curious choice, and uh, and and even he ends up um, with having his hand bitten off by a shark and has a I believe a spear or something in place of where his hand used to be, mm. and he actually is ultimately murdered by Aquaman. But that said, I just felt that this movie ended too cleanly because yes. you, it was cool to see Black Manta again, and I and uh, I think he was one of the better villains in the DCEU as a whole, not to mention the design I thought was fantastic, especially in the first film. But I thought just Yaya Abdul-Mateen II really brought this character to life. And he's one of the more convincing villains 
of this new CEU, but it ended too cleanly. As in when we ultimately get um, the doors of uh, Necros to open and Aquaman has this very brief showdown with Kordax, it's like, that's it. That's all it took. You just, uh, the guy throws you your trident and you throw it at him and he's destroyed and that's it. It just seemed they, they really had pumped up this lost. I mean, it's in the title, The Lost Kingdom. You would have expected Kordax to have been more of a formidable villain. It kind of reminds me of another DCU movie, which we did talk about on this uh, on this podcast, Black Adam, where the last minute we throw in another villain who lasts two minutes and it's supposed to be a huge, big, bad, demonic and so on. And he's defeated in two seconds. Well, pardon me. I think there was... Uh, that was that was Shazam, the Shazam sequel, not Black, not Black Adam. Actually, Shazam. I think it was actually in both of them where Shazam had the same. The here's a bad guy beats his ass in like two point five seconds, dies and comes back, and then Black Adam was, oh, I've come to terms with my powers and abilities, and I beat the bad guy in five minutes or two minutes. I think it was not even five minutes. So I, I, DC has that same, you know, hurry the hell up, we got to beat the bad guy up issue that yeah. they always seem to have. And can we talk about the fact that Arthur has the most spectacular aim ever known to man, that he's able to um, hit Black Manta right in the face and crack both of his lenses to his super eye beams? Like, that is spectacular aim. And then goes uh, goes ahead and does the same thing by throwing his trident at Kordax and destroying him. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that was just like Arthur, um, sorry, not Arthur, Robin Hood level aiming skill that nobody knew he had. I mean, I guess he could always, um, you know, run in the Olympics, like being, he could be a great javelin thrower, I'm assuming, you know, the way he's able to, th- to, to throw that trident around with that spectacular aim. It's, it's, it, it, you make a good point there for sure. I just felt that, as I said, our villains got dispatched too easily. And this mm-hmm. villain that we were kind of constantly building up throughout the course of this film was also beaten incredibly easily. It did not seem like Arthur broke much of a sweat to, to defeat Cordax. No. Well, and I get the, you know, this was his great, 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 whatever the hell great it is, you know, grandfather's brother. And you could potentially see that the reason why he didn't kill his brother is because of the brotherly bonds. And that's, you know, you generally don't want to be known for killing your brother. I think there's that story in that weird book about the guy who died for our sins or something. Um, (laughs) Then... You know, so what's he do? He locks him away because at some point, you know, either everybody's going to forget about him or something or someone will come along and dispatch this evil that he could not bring himself to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, Arthur having no connection to this character other than, yes, he is the, you know, great, 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 you know, 400 times removed grandfather's brother and he's technically related. But there's no history there. So for him to come in here and just curb stomp him in 2.5 seconds, he's like, okay, you threatened my family. You tried to kill my wife. I'm going to, you know, kind of seek revenge and do what I got to do. I will say that that magic murder trident of death that the bad guy has shattered pretty easily, considering, you know, they were fighting, going, you know, trident to trident. They were smashing each other. They were fighting. And Arthur just, you know, harpoons him with his his spear and it's like okay that's going to shatter like glass and i'm like why had that not happened before considering they've been fighting for the last two and a half hours 
you would have thought that happened sooner, but it didn't. No, not at all. And uh, and I guess maybe, maybe the intent here of all the brotherly stuff was kind of maybe to mirror what might happen down the line between Aquaman and Ocean Master. Like Atlan and Kordax had had a falling out, and Atlan had imprisoned his brother Kordax and uh, and the city of Necrus. And it's almost like a, maybe a cautionary tale of love your brother because someday you might end up imprisoning him or something like that. So could it was almost be like a generational thing, like Atlan and Kordax, and many generations later, Orm and Arthur. And so I wonder whether that might give Arthur food for thought on, yeah, maybe hopefully Orm and I can be can can, uh, can be friends, and Orm won't decide to turn into Ocean Master all over again and take try and take over the world, and me have to imprison him like my ancestor did. So that might also be a theme there within the movie. I mean, I'm I'm obviously grasping at straws here people i'm just thinking that might have been either it's coincidental that it's all about brothers in this film or that was actually the intent but yeah it ended too cleanly everybody i mean of course we're happy that everybody's happy and that the hero wins and i mean if if we haven't fi figured that out by now with superhero movies you know that 99.9 percent .9 times out of out of 100 the hero's going to win, the villain's going to die, will be defeated, and everybody walks away happy. You know, the guy gets the gal and walks away into the sunset. But, and I, that's what I, I wouldn't expect anything less from this movie. But the way it was done, as in, there is no, um, there are no consequences, if you will, or rather, there's no aftermath from anything that's happened. Even like you said, had Arthur even lost an, a hand or an arm, it would have meant something, as in, it's the aftermath of having to fight this, this this incredible battle in order to be happy. Instead, he's all in one piece. He's got his wife. He's got his kid. He's patched up things with his brother. Now, I'm not trying to say that things have to be dark and bleak. But at the same time, show, the, show some consequence to these kind of battles. Because I just can't, I, I, I would have preferred him to come out a little bit more scarred and, and cut up rather than, I'm back, let's party. It, like, no, it just seemed way too clean. Granted, it comes out in December that over the holidays. So it kind of, yay, Aquaman won. Let's go celebrate. It's almost Christmas. But I don't know. It just felt very insubstantial and just very kind of, like I said, a very sort of easy ending and very just a very simplistic ending. Uh, what did you think? No, I, I'm with you. It was very, you know, pick your superhero movie and piece it all together it reminded me very much of the end of the first black panther where he comes out and says like hey we're this super technologically advanced civilization uh it reminded me of uh, valkyrie from thor love and thunder where she didn't want to be in charge of new asgard and thor wanted to be off playing you know good cop bad cop or slightly mentally deficient cop or whatever you want to call it so i i think this movie kind of picked and choosed its reference material from the Marvel movies and tried to kind of take those little story points and wrap them together into this Aquaman, knowing the fact that there was probably not going to be a third one. So they kind of wanted to end it on a happy note, no death and destruction, sort of like the gardens of the galaxy. Everybody survives. Everybody gets a happily ever after they, they Jason gunned it basically. And it works for you know the fact that this is the last movie, but I think there could have been more. 
you know, it, it was very heavy in the environmentalness. And then just like, hey, we'll help you solve the world problems. Cool. And we're out. Poof, gone. And you're like, wait, what? You go from let's murder the planet to let's help? Like, just the fact that he's fighting with the council and all of a sudden he's like, all right, I'm going to do this anyway. Screw you guys. And, yeah. you know, the happy ending, I get it. Yeah. I mean, that's why, as I said, there was no no to finality. Like I said, it's very hard to be able to replicate something like Endgame which in my mind is one of the best finales of any saga ever when it comes to movies because you've been building up with so many films and you end up that way where you have happy moments, but also at the same time you reminisce on what was lost and the sacrifices that were made. And you really feel like you've been through a journey with these, with these characters, regardless of who your favorite is. Grant, okay, the, it's a team and a coming together of a team. Maybe had it been a, a Justice League final stand, we maybe would have felt different. But I think if this is the movie in, you know, when you're in your boardroom and you're planning out your movies and like, this is the movie that's going to see off the universe. You kind of like make, make us, the audience feel more involved. Like we've been on the journey, as I mentioned before, the quality of these, of the DCU movies has been kind of, has never, has not been particularly consistent. There have been some decent ones. There've been some pretty bad ones and there've been some medium tier ones, but still, um, I guess homage your fans or rather make them feel that, you know, it's been a, a, a journey worthwhile that you're not like, oh, yay, that's over. What's next? That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, okay, let's see what, what, uh, what James Gunn does. Now, I, I guess I'm like, okay, that was something I watched. Didn't feel like an ending. And if and I, here's, here's the sad thing. Had it been a better movie, I might have down the line revisited the DCEU, gone through it and see what I would get from it once again as a journey. Did it with the, the MCU and I love the journey. Here, it seemed like a very broken journey. That's that's uh, that's my my take on on this last chapter. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Keith? Before we got to ratings, no, I'm very much with you. And I the the fact that we know this is nothing's going to progress from this point. If I never watched any of these movies again, other than say maybe Batman Once in a Blue Moon, I'd be fine with that. None of these they they have not last uh, left a lasting impression like some of these made reference to you know during the course of this year very well said so i guess then getting to ratings what do you give aquaman and the lost kingdom <sighs> I'm, I'm gonna have to give it a six and a half jellyfish because it's a little squishy but at the same time it's not going to kill me if i touch it <laughs> oh, that's that's a great a great one. I'm actually with you. I'm also going to give it a six and a half out of ten. As there were moments I I genuinely enjoyed it. There were moments which seemed to go on forever, and I and I was sometimes questioning, saying, "Why is this movie going on for two hours and five minutes?" And when I heard there was a mid credits, I'm like, "Oh, we might get something," you know, alluding to it was it was it's over. We'll see you with a new universe. Instead, we get bloody Orm eating a cheeseburger with a with a a, 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 a an insect in it fine okay so it's a six and a half out of ten for me too so getting to recommendations did you have anything you'd like to recommend aquaman related or not oh i recommend skipping this movie god <laughs> it's two hours of my life i'm never getting back um i would actually recommend the new 52 run of the aquaman story and even most of the 2000 early thousands run as a whole it actually was written very well. I know a lot of people gave the new 52 a lot of crap, but 
Aquaman did come into his own during that time frame. They they did show his true potential, his true true powers, and even him kind of making fun of the the stereotypes that people give him crap for. Like, yeah, I can talk to fish. What's your point? Or you know, he's at a restaurant eating sushi, and people are like, oh my god, you're eating your people. And he turns to them, he's like, you eat cows, don't you? And they all just kind of sit there and like, all right, we're gonna shut up now because again, you know, you're kind of a hypocrite. So I, I will say. New 52 Aquaman and most of the early thousands where he had long hair and one hand. Well, I'm right there with you. Actually, I actually still own those Aquaman issues on my uh, tablet. And every now and then I will go back to them. Like you said, it is uh, definitely a very clever take. One of the better titles of the new 52. I'm also going to add, if you do, if you feel so inclined and actually want to see Black Manta murdering uh, Arthur's kid, you can do so by picking up Adventure Comics issue 452 by David Michelini and Jim Aparo. And there you actually get to see Black Manta coming to, to Aquaman's house and uh, literally suffocating his child, which then, of course, puts Aquaman in a rage and we're off to the races and kind of uh, pulls a- Aquaman, if you will, out of his slumber, if you will, because a lot of people see it as Black Manta needing somebody to fight. And he's like, this will probably getting pissed off enough for him to want to fight me. And so... Uh, if you want to see it for yourselves with your own eyes, you can definitely pick pick that up and uh, and and see for yourself and let us know what you you make of it. That's Adventure Comics four hundred and fifty two, uh, and of course that's available both in uh, paper form. I, I've seen as a trade paperback, and also of course on uh, lovely apps like Comixology, for example, as well, which is what I use and has always brought me a lot of joy. So, getting to uh, listener feedback, we actually have some this week from a frequent contributor, Aaron. Aaron writes in. And with his his subject line, I think says it all. The subject line is, "What a bore!" <laughs> so I think that's how he feels about this movie. Because because uh, Aaron says, "Hello, DJ Nick and Keith. Hey, Aaron. The first Aquaman was a pleasant surprise for me, as someone who was never a fan of what has colloquially been referred to as the Snyderverse. Aquaman was one of the rare entries I enjoyed. I'm kind of there with you. The Lost Kingdom, not so much." Of all the words I could use to describe it, I wouldn't have thought boring would be one of them. But here we are. An hour in, and I just didn't care about anything going on. This isn't anything the actors have done wrong, because Momoa and Wilson try their best with with the sloppy script they're given. Even the action seemed rote, and by the numbers, which is a shame, because I really like Wan as a director. I will agree, James Wan has given us some great things, amongst amongst others, the Saw franchise, and I'm grateful to him for that. My biggest issue is with Black Manta. Similar to Maxwell Lord in Wonder Woman 1984, horrible movie I will add, instead of capitalizing on the character, DC has instead opted for an artifact to possess him, which we talked about. Uh, Aaron continues, for someone whose star continues to rise, Abdul Mateen II is wasted. He gets a good amount of screen time, but little works. With a whimper, the Snyderverse finally ends, and I hope James Gunn can give us a proper DC universe going forward. Take care, Aaron. Well, thank you very much for that, Aaron, and uh, I think you bring up some great points. It seems like... uh, very much echo what Keith and I were saying. I uh, hope, of course, Aaron, if you're listening to this, that you had a great Christmas yourself and, of course, wishing you a very happy new year. And thank you so much for being such a frequent contributor to uh, the Happiness and Darkness fan mail segment of this podcast. Uh, Keith, did you have anything you wanted to uh, to add when it came to, to Aaron's lovely email? 
we're gonna have to give him like a frequent flyer card or something like that you know every 10 emails he gets one visit on the show or something i don't know because he's doing a pretty bang up job with the the feedback uh, i agree with him i have i totally completely like wrote off wonder wonder woman 84 i didn't even think about that movie the reference and he nails it it's 100 percent. it's another one of those bad guy finds magic object possesses you know mortal crap thing and completely i blanked that movie out of my brain that's how bad it was and i agree with you and him 100 percent. another horrible movie another wasted character with you know wonder woman and i i hope they, they do something with um black manta in the future and bring him back even if it's in the the james gunn verse even if they bring him back as like a dead shot or whatever, another actor or another character rather in the universe, I would be fine with because I enjoy watching him. Oh, I, I agree with you. And, you know, speaking of, of wasted talent, you know, we talked you know, Aaron was talking about Abdul Mateen II, who, yes, is doing really well for himself. It was the same deal with Pedro Pascal, who played Maxwell Lord in 1984. And we know, I mean, I know you as a Star Wars fan are, are a, a fan of Pedro's work because I, uh, I know he's in Mandalorian a lot. He is the Mandalorian, literally. Technically, so, uh, is, yes. And I mean, and I know a lot of folks have, you know, sung Pedro's praises, but yes, and Max, as Maxwell Lord, such a waste of a great actor. And, and yeah, and of course, we know the same thing. And such a waste of a great character, because Maxwell Lord is another big villain in the DCU and has done some pretty horrible things and has earned the right to be amongst the great villains of the DC, of the, the DC universe. So that's a, that's a great comparison that, uh, that Aaron makes. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like the awesome Aaron and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. Or you can also follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps the show grow and allows us to continue to bring you the podcast that you deserve and, of course, allows keeps the algorithm stimulated and allows it to reach even more like-minded ears. So, uh, Keith, when you're not here discussing the end of the DCEU and other superhero movies, where can folks find you and your work on the interwebs? On the interwebs. Uh, well, you know, when I'm not here, I'm off eating jellyfish for fun and capital gains. Uh, but when I'm not doing either one of those, uh, you can find me on the Hour of Comics is Upon Us with uh, Jason Gurren and John Seymour. We review comic books opposed to movies. Huge stretch and completely outside of my wheelhouse. And I, I'm surprised they keep me on the show, to be honest, because I know nothing about anything. Uh, we do. We have been on a bit of a hiatus recently, just due to the holidays, uh, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, um, leap year, every other Tuesday, Goodwill, something or other. I don't know. Uh, we should be picking that back up again in the beginning of 2024, hopefully on a, a regular cadence. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook. Uh, it's the Hour of Comics upon us. It's got a picture of. John holding a first appearance issue and says the hour of comics. Uh, definitely give us a, a check out, listen, like, and you know, let us know what you think. Fabulous stuff indeed. And this here is definitely hoping that 2024 will open with the return of the hour of comics is upon us. 
Uh, when it comes to myself, uh, for you country music lovers, you can find me at my day job hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play the very best and nothing but the best of country music for you guys from Alabama to Zach Brown. And for more information about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if you're fans of those best picture-winning movies, I doubt uh, Aquaman Lost Kingdom is going to get any kind of nomination. That said, um, you can find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing every single um, movie to have won best picture in chronological order. We're soon, soon but surely going to be all caught up as uh, next week. We're going to be um, we, we're going to be literally entering the 2020s as we'll be taking on Nomadland. So uh, so that's going to be, I think, an interesting conversation starring, of course, the fabulous Francis McDormand and, of course, directed by Chloe Zhao. And last but certainly not least, uh, myself and Charles Skaggs will be founders of next year returning to the fandom zone where we discuss any and all superhero TV shows. And, of course, uh, on the docket will be Echo, the latest MCU TV show, which will in a couple of weeks actually be making its way to Disney Plus. So looking forward to that indeed. And speaking of these to come on this show, next time and next year, we will be taking on the 2012 Josh Trank film. And this is a movie I did not know existed. This is thanks to uh, my great co-host, Keith. Chronicle will be next on the menu. So, Keith, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off or, and, or anything even about this uh, movie that you have chosen? Uh, it's one of those movies that it's a, a love-hate relationship, and that's all I'll give you. You're either going to love it, you're going to hate it, but you're going to have an opinion about it. Hmm. Well, I'm definitely very curious. My curiosity has now been piqued, so I uh, we to see what we uh, both make of it. My first watch and your nth watch. So that said, folks, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Chronicle. Until then... Have a great start to your 2024. Thank you so much for supporting us throughout the course of 2023. We will see you next year. Until then, stay super. Ciao. Mappy.